All right, so let's go ahead and turn to Proverbs 21.2, and whoever gets there first, go ahead and read that for us. Just a short little two lines here. We'll talk a little bit about it, pray, and we'll rock and roll this morning. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. All right. What do you guys think? Um, I I like I chose this proverb specifically this morning uh, because there's some connections, as always, uh, all the way back to Genesis three. Uh, but I think there's also some connections to where we find ourselves in 2020 as well. So, what do you guys? What do you see? What do you observe? What do you think as you read uh, that verse? Which one was it again? I'm sorry. No, no worries. Proverbs 21, verse 2. Yeah, 21, 2. Well, I think it says that uh, every you, whatever you do is probably right for you, but you have to do it with a good heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think, and that's a theme you'll see throughout Scripture. Um that starts all the way in Genesis 3, uh, Genesis 1 and 2, arguably, that God is inviting humans into this partnership of wisdom to walk in relationship with Him. And to walk in relationship with Him and to walk in wisdom is to choose to see things God from God's perspective rather than your own. All of us have a choice as humans. Will I choose to see the world the way I want to see it and the way I want to rule it from my perspective? Or will I ask the Lord for wisdom to see uh, situations and see people the way he sees them? Um, and uh, scripture really makes pretty clear, especially in Proverbs 3, it talks about um, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own ways, but acknowledge him in every way. He'll make your path straight. And it is this idea of you can choose your own wisdom or the wisdom of the Lord. And um, that's what the tree is all about. Will you kind of take for yourself and say, well, I want to do things my way. I want to see it from my perspective. Or will you lean into a relationship with the Lord and glean wisdom from him? And I think what we're experiencing, the reason I say I think it fast forwards all the way to 2020 is is we live in a world right now, everybody's a little bit irritable, everybody's a little bit tired, everybody's uh, very frustrated with what's going on in the world and just several different reasons. Um, And everybody feels very entitled to the right of their own opinion. (laughs) Um, But where I find comfort, as you can see, you know, people will comment or post and then comment and then reply. And everybody thinks that their perspective is the one that should be heard and everybody else should agree with their perspective. I find a lot of confidence and hope and kind of rest in the last phrase where it says the Lord weighs the heart. And so everybody can put their opinion out there. I can put my opinion out there. You can put your opinion out there. At the end of the day, the Lord is going to say, you all had something to say, but here's here's what the truth is. <laughs> here's what actually is going on, and here's what actually is true. And I look forward to that day when kind of since the curtain is pulled back, 
and we get to just all be humbled by the realization that we were probably all wrong. <laughs> like we're all wrong. Like everybody that had an opinion to say, um, and God is right. <laughs> I look forward to that day where we're just all kind of equalized and humbled at, at his feet and say, Oh, you know, most of us all were wrong. He's right. <laughs> yeah. I look forward to that time. So anyway, any other thoughts you guys have on that before we roll into Genesis this morning? Um, well, I, I think you can't just go with one verse. You have to add the, the other two verses below it, three and four. Yeah. That's kind of, it, kind of where the, what the message is. That it, he looks at your heart. He doesn't. He doesn't. You know, he, it's not what you want to do. It's, he looks at your heart to see what's really there. What is your real intention of yeah. what you're trying to do? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think three is important to go with two. Sorry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To do what's right and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. That's. That's pretty significant. Yeah, it is. It's well, anyway. I yeah. agree with that. That's good. Yeah, thank you, Dennis. I agree. Well said. All right. Well, uh, game plan is this morning we uh, are going to spend some time in Genesis 11. Uh, I'm looking forward to walking through this with with Sean and um, yeah, significant story here we're going to see in Genesis 11 and uh, just a kind of so you guys can put it on your calendar. I, I will be working through Genesis 11 this morning and then see how far we get. But ideally, we would love to be able to say next week um, we will um, look at Genesis 12, 1 through 3, kind of the hinge point in the book of Genesis. Um, and I think we're going to walk back through the first 12 chapters of Genesis to just summarize and tie it all together. And correct me if I'm, I'm wrong on any of this, Sean. So next week, we'll kind of summarize it all, tie it together as we look at Genesis 12, 1 through 3. And then uh, we're going to take two weeks off here as a group. So we won't meet July 30th or August 6th, but we'll pick up... Um, Wait, is that? Yeah, I think, yeah. Yeah, July 30th, August 6th, and then we'll pick back up the second week of August in the book of Romans and show kind of how Genesis and Romans, really good bookend. So, Sean, anything you would add to that game plan? Nope. Okay. That's exactly what I was thinking. Cool. Love it. Let me uh, Let me pray for us, and we'll go from there. Father, we love you so much. Thank you for the reminder this morning from your word from Proverbs that, um, Lord, we... Everybody kind of has the thought on what they think is right, uh, um, but Lord, you weigh the heart. And uh, yeah, I thank you for the reminder from Dennis to look at the verses after and, and be reminded that, Lord, you desire righteousness more than sacrifice, meaning you desire obedience and walking in your good ways more than doing religious stuff. And uh, Lord, I pray that we would know, as Micah reminds us, um, what it is to to walk justly with you, um, to walk humbly, to love mercy, to do righteousness. 
So, Lord, help us to be about that as men and women. <clears throat> we just pray that you'd open our eyes here in Genesis 11 and just show us how good your word is, as always. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so, <clears throat> uh, yeah, last week we concluded 10. Um, let's, uh, let's move into 11. Would somebody mind reading 11, 1 through 9? Or actually, I'll do it. I can do it. Um, now, the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. They said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top into the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there, over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. All right, what just went on there? It's kind of a weird story. Does anybody notice that, um, kind of interesting, back in chapter 10, that we, when we started reading last week, um, it says that uh, in, let's see, verse 5, it said, uh, from the coastland, people spread in their lands, each with their own language, by clans and in their nations. But then in 11, it says, now the whole earth had one language and the same words. Did anybody catch that apparent contradiction? No. From last week? Okay. Um, just in case, let me explain. Do you guys remember in chapter 1 where, uh, Genesis chapter 1, where God gives kind of a brief story of um, the creation of man, but then in chapter 2, he kind of zooms in and gives a more detailed story? Do you guys remember that? Mm -hmm. Okay, this is this is the same thing. This is Moses is putting the um, the the generations uh, of Noah before the uh, uh, the detailed story of how these generations came to have their own. Or, excuse me, these uh, um, Clans and their nations had their own had their own languages. Sorry, I'm a little slow this morning. It's six o'clock. Sean, what was that verse you read about um, from from chapter ten? Was it verse verse thirty two? Um, five. Five. Yeah, five. Oh, verse five. Okay, yeah. thank, you. thank you. So yeah, it starts with uh, ten. Starts with these are the generations of Noah, Got and it. in five it says from these coastlands people spread each with his own language. But then in 11, it moves into, now the whole earth had one language. So 
why the apparent contradiction. And just in case you guys noticed it, I wanted to kind of explain that because I think there's a little contention there with with some with uh, with with some uh, folks who um, are maybe anti-biblical. In case you ever run into it, it's, a, yeah. it's an explanation. Uh, okay, so we have a picture of the entire Earth having a single language. Everybody spoke the same. And it says, as people migrated from the east. Actually, let's, real quick, let's talk about what just happened. Can somebody explain to me what, what just took place, and then we'll go into it in detail. What took place in the first yeah. uh, nine yeah. verses you read, you're saying? Yeah, what took place for members? Wasn't it and the Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and so um sorry guys, give me just one second. You do you think maybe it was uh God's intention to cut down their power. Because, I mean, the biggest problem we have in the world, in the world, is communication. If, okay. we're, trying to, if we're trying to discuss problems, I mean, that's how wars get started, because I don't understand what you're talking about. I can't understand you. So now I have to have a translator who's got to translate what you're saying to my language and, trans and vice versa. In a it creates lots of problems. I mean, if you think about it, the problems we're having with China is because we can't communicate with them properly. Not that they're not evil, I'm just saying they're just... It's just... It's confusing to me why God would come down and create a number of different languages, you know, let's, let's have some fun. And then, who was the first translator? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, um, it's just, it's, it's confusing why, if you love somebody, you would then cut up your communication. I mean, if, if you, if you're having a problem with your spouse, okay. communication is extremely important. Just because you speak the same language doesn't mean A equals A to her or B equals B to you. So... This is very confusing to me. Is why would we have? Why would he do that? Unless it was to make people put their focus back on him <clears throat> instead of on themselves. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, let's let, let's read three. I'm going to read three again. It says, "And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly.' And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And they said." Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the whole earth. So, um, getting to your answer, Dennis, let's 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 talk about what they were trying to do first. Um, and it seems that what they were trying to do, when it says "come, let us make bricks," uh, the idea here that the language is they're rallying up the troops. Hey, let's build this. And, and what do they want to do? They said, let us make 
uh, build ourselves a city with its tower in the top, uh, to the top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves. Do you guys remember um, the fall of Satan? What mm. was what was Satan's what was Satan's um, what was Satan's sin? Do you guys remember? Great division. Okay, he correct, but uh, do you re- yes, he does do that. But do you remember when God is explaining, uh, calling him the Morning Star, etc., and talking about uh, uh, what what Satan said that really got him cast out of out of heaven? Do you guys remember that? He wanted to be above God. Yeah, he wanted to be above God, and he wanted to make a name for himself. Uh-huh. So what we're seeing here is. Um, the people of the earth doing the same thing. They're trying to build themselves a city, establish themselves, and, and they're, they're, they're rallying troops, believing their safety in numbers. But what does God say? Sharon hit right on the head. She went right to the heart of this. Mm. Um, God said, no, be fruitful, multiply, fill, and subdue. But the people of the earth said, no, we want to gather ourselves we want to build ourselves. Pardon? Oh, I'm sorry. I thought somebody spoke. Uh, they want to. We want to build ourselves a city, and we want to make a name for ourselves. And we're trusting in our numbers rather than we're trusting in God. Mm-hmm. So, um, it says the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. Dave, I just picked that up this morning when I was reading this. Do you have any reference to the phrase "the children of man had built" other than uh, the sons of sons of man? Oh, interesting. No, I, I I'd have to look into that a little bit. The children of man. My off the top of my head, um, it would go back to the observation you made back in Genesis five, where the the sons that Adam now have are in his image. Mm-hmm. So now still in the image of God, but that image of God has been distorted from buying, being deceived by Satan. So now Adam is having sons in his distorted image. So the children of man could be kind of an allusion to that, but I don't know. That's a, I'd, I'd like to look into that. Yeah. I think, good I catch. think, um, as you explained that, I think I think you're you're right on. It's it's concluding five, um, suggesting that that it, these aren't godly people, but in fact they are. They have taken on the image of Adam, and they're they're yeah. choosing to. Um, so it said, the Lord the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built, and the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing they propose to do now will be impossible for them. What does that mean? Wow. Um, That's crazy. Okay, who's talking? Sorry. Okay, the way I look at verse 6, and the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language. Um, the way I see is a picture of unity, and they have one purpose together. Mm-hmm. And that one purpose is to build a tower, you know. It's almost like he sees that as a bad thing. Yeah. 
Why, why would you think it would be a bad thing to be one people and have one language? Right. I mean, it's like, like dictators. They want to be the, the one that's right. They are, the, they are right all the time. And they put themselves above everything else. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's exactly right. When you scroll back, it says, let us build a city and a tower with the top of the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves. I think part of the key of this, and there's a lot in this, uh, build a tower or uh, build a tower with the top in the heavens. I think the key to this is suggesting that man is elevating himself above what God intended him to be. And, and so, hmm. Um, having one, being one people in one language, I think you guys are exactly right, that, that it's, a, it's a matter of not fulfilling the purpose that God had called them to do. And what was that purpose? To multiply, fill, and subdue, right? And they're not doing that. They, they decide, no, we're going to come together, and we're going to be one people and make a name for ourselves. And we're going to trust in the... Um, the numbers of man rather than trust in the command of God to multiply fills of view. <clears throat> but the question is, what do you think that means? This is really interesting. It says, and nothing they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Mm. Yeah, it makes me think uh, that, yeah, when when people are unified with a shared language and a shared mission, man, there's some power and potential there. As you guys are saying, and obviously God sees it as a negative here because it's a distorted mission. But, you know, I can't help but think as as a, you know, part of the church that, man, is that not God's design for the church to be a people united with one common mission and with shared language centered around Jesus? Man, there's some potential there if people choose to to strive for this kind of unity, you know? You can see it positively or negatively, I think. Dave, that's really good, man. I actually didn't pick up, I didn't didn't make that connection until you just said it. But if you think about it, what... (laughs) What's the basis of the unity at the Tower of Babel versus the basis of the unity of the church? Mm. The basis of the unity of the church is to to um, to be to be Christ-like, and, mm. and that's that's what we seek. And, but and so we're going toward God with the church, but with the Tower of Babel, we're doing the exact opposite. We're going away from God, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that was that's, good. That's interesting. I gotta think about that a little while, like. Um, you know how you talk about the inverse or the flip of things. It makes me think. Well, now our goal is the exact opposite of the guard or of the Tower of Babel as the church. Rather than raising ourselves up, it's to lower ourselves in humility, like Christ did, emptying himself, giving his life on our behalf. And then, what's our common mission? It's actually to go out into all the nations. So in a sense, rather than uniting and huddling up like they're trying to do here, our mission is to scatter to the ends of the earth to make disciples. So, yeah, I don't know. There's some cool inversion stuff going on there. But I got I got to think about that a little while. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah. That's good. I never even made that connection yeah. until you just said. Uh, could, it, could it be that, you know, that they 
Because they didn't <laughs> consult with God. Hmm. Say, we would like to do this in your honor. We would like to um, get closer to you. That they just kind of said, let's do this on our own. And, and you know, who cares what happens? See, at, at this point, I don't see any a church leadership at all. And maybe because I've missed previous sessions, there should be somebody in there who's leading them religiously. But I, I think it's, I, you know, I, it's very confusing to me why God would come down and he understands well how good, how important communication is and how it can make things better or worse. And then just say, you know what? Let's just the heck with this. Let's just split everybody up. Yeah. Okay. Dennis, I think you're right on the money with, uh, <clears throat> with them deciding they're going to do it on their own and not consult God. And we see that again, when it says, um, we're going to build ourselves a city and a tower and let us make a name for ourselves. And we're going to build this tower to the height of heaven. That that's, that's in multiple ways. That's, that's, the opposite of what God commands. Just like Dave said, we're, we're to be humble, we're to lower ourselves below God. But they want to raise themselves above God. Not only that, but as as Sharon said earlier, that the we're, we're commanded to disperse and fill the earth, and we're doing exactly the opposite. So I think you're right on, we're not consulting God, but we're consulting ourselves for wisdom. Rather, well, there's, no, there's no leaders mentioned in the verses at all. Yeah. The, the folks that were that, that were in charge of the tribes, the tribe, it would be a tribe in this case. Um, and maybe this is the beginning of the 12 tribes, too. Mm-hmm. You know? Okay. Which, um, if, if you take it to that context, then it's extremely understandable why he did it. Because the, the 12 tribes are crucial to the building of the earth. I mean, we're still, we're still feeling the effects of the tribe, the 12 tribes today. Yeah. You know, so. Okay. Sorry. Uh, no, okay. Off somewhere. no, you're good. You're good. Um, I still want to go back to what it means. What, and, and, and nothing they do or nothing they propose to do will be impossible for mm-hmm. them. I think this is really important to, to answering your question, Dennis, as to why God dispersed and, and confused the language. Um, somebody help me out. What do you guys think that means? Nothing they will do will be impossible for them. Any ideas? Is it? Um, sorry, can you hear me? I put my AirPods in. Okay. Okay, awesome. Is it, like, hinting at the fact that, like, Yes, in the good, like, nothing they'll do will be impossible, but then also, like, the negative effects of it as well. Like, they're, like, there's, it'll, having one people, one language opens the door to, like, judgment and, like, sin um, in that aspect. Um, I'm trying to explain, like, very similar to, like, this is an extreme, but, like, to, like, Hitler, how he wanted everyone to be the same. Oh, Okay. Like, it opens up the door to, like, closing the door to diversity, closing the door to, like, people are created equally, but, like, opening up the door to, like, just that mentality of, like, you're different, so you don't belong. Yeah, maybe. 
Maybe. Think about it this way. So what what did we just read? We just read the story uh, two weeks ago of Noah. And what was the purpose of the flood, of the, the, the earth flood? It was to reset because sin, remember God said the whole earth had become violent and, 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 and people were, people were just, they were going their own way. And so God resets the earth. Mm-hmm. Noah is the, the first off the boat with his sons and his, his wife and his son's wives. And then we immediately move into the Tower of Babel. And so what's happening here? The earth is going the exact same direction that it was prior to the flood. And so, Victoria, I think you're I think you're onto something because when when it seems like uh, instead of uh, excuse me, right after the flood, God tells them again, "Be fruitful, multiply, fill, and subdue." But what do they do? They come together, and sin immediately starts showing up. They want to build themselves a tower. They want to do everything that's anti God's commandment. And so God says, man, nothing is going to be impossible with them. Their sin is going to continue to abound, and the earth is going to spiral out of control just like it did before the flood. And so God says, we're going to go down and confuse their language so they don't understand one another's speech. What happens when you confuse people's languages? And they, Just like Dennis said, they can't communicate. And so that starts creating division. And what does that do? That forces people and tribes who don't understand other tribes to gather together and move away. And so it forces people to do what God commands them to do, which is multiply, fill, and subdue. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Well, also when you have miscommunication, it tends to breed violence. Um, because yeah, I guess it can. I, I, I think you're saying one thing when you mean something entirely different. You know, what do, what do you mean by what you're saying? Yeah. So uh, I think you just insulted my wife. So then you, you know, or you insulted my family or you insulted, you insulted my group of people here and we're going to do something about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't. So that might have taken place. I don't see that in scripture. Um, I see that what God's doing here is is forcing people through the language barrier to fulfill the command that he had given, which is multiply, fill, and subdue. And so here's my question. With that in mind, with the idea that nothing they will do will be impossible for them, and let us confuse their language, do you guys see judgment or do you guys see mercy here? Think back to Genesis 3 when we were kicked out of the garden. This should immediately uh, make a connection when, when Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden. We talked about judgment and mercy. Um, was God being a, a, a judge? Was God judging us or was he being merciful? Think about it in the same context here. Uh, was this judgment or mercy? Well, judgment in my opinion. Okay. I Simply think it's because it's creating mer- division. Okay. I think it's mercy. Yeah. Okay. Um, just, I believe, I don't know who said it, but just like they said, like in this passage, there's no speak of leadership here. Oh. That was Dennis, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think it's it's mercy because 
when we combine together, yes, nothing will be impossible, but then there's that sense of like man over God without a leader. Yeah, and I want to be clear, the, the nothing will now be impossible for them is not talking from a, a good godly perspective. It's talking from a sin perspective. So God's saying that with the, the fact that they are not being obedient and filling and subduing, um, and they're coming together, look at what's happening. They just stepped off the boat. Um, they're already falling into the, the same sin as before. And so when we ask the question, is it judgment or mercy? I think it's both. I think that once again, it's a perfect picture of God saying, I'm going to force you to do what I've commanded you to do so that the world does not spiral so far out of control again that there needs to be a reset. And But merciful because he is, he's forcing us to take the steps necessary to keep sin from continuing to happen. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, I think so, Sean. I think a good example of that is how you walked us through Genesis 4. And the immediate thing we see in when Cain murders Abel, we see justice and mercy once again, where God's commandment to Cain is to wander, not settle. Like, keep wandering the earth. Uh, I don't want you to settle. And the reason is, well, first of all, you see Cain saying, nah, forget that. The first thing he does, it's very clear, is he settles and he builds a city. And then what you see is just a few generations later, um, you've got a man by the name of Lamech who's boasting about uh, murder. And so you go from Cain, who murders his brother, to a few generations later, the guy's saying, um, I will, I forget, is it 77 times the amount? Like, I will, I will, if Cain had vengeance on his brother, I'll have 77 times that amount. I'm basically saying 77 times the amount of the anger, the sin, the hatred has pulled up in, the, in a city rather than keeping it scattered um, and moving. So, yeah, it seems to be God is like, hey, don't let sin pull up. Um, yeah, so I agree. I think it's, it's, for me, it's mercy because it kind of goes back to God's covenant with Noah and where it says in verse, in chapter 8, verse 21, um, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. So it's, he knows that it's going to continually happen over and over again, that man just has a sinful heart and sinful nature. And so he, because he made a covenant, he can't destroy the earth again. Mm-hmm. He can't continue to just, every time man sins, you know, uh, and is relentless about it, that he can't just keep resetting mm-hmm. the world. At some yeah. point, he just has to do something. And in this case, it's to, you know, uh, disperse, disperse them and, you know, and provide them with different languages. And I like what you use the word relentless, because mm-hmm. that's, I think that's exactly what we see. We see a relentless pursuit of sin with mankind in every situation. Um, uh, and so, yeah, I, I, I agree. Whoever said it was judgment. I completely agree. 
But whoever said it was mercy, I, I also agree. I think it, I think it's both. And what's cool is as we go through scripture and we read through these stories, be be looking for a, a balance of judgment and mercy in each one of these stories because I think scripture paints a very clear picture that God is just, but he's also extremely merciful as well. And so be, be, be mindful of this as we read through the stories because I think you're going to see this over and over. Um, okay. Uh, anybody notice in 7 the come let us go down and confuse their language? Anybody notice the the Genesis 1 language there? Uh-huh. Come, let us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who's, he, who's he talking about? Who's Moses pointing to? The Trinity. Yeah, yeah, good catch. Um, okay, anything in here that, uh, anything in here that we need to chew through? Good, good with this story? I just wanted to add um, the Hebrew word "balal." It means to confuse. Yeah. So I think <laughs> where the name "dabble" comes from. Yep. Yep. That's a good catch, Ann. I would just throw in real quick um, the the name Babel or Babylon throughout the rest of Scripture just plays such an important role, and then especially when it comes full circle. Uh, in Revelation, it just talks a lot about the city of Babylon. And so kind of Babel or Babylon is used kind of as this archetype all throughout Scripture to say anytime humans get together and try and be so powerful together to use their power to hurt or harm other people, um, kind of it's Babylon-type language of like going all the way back here to Genesis 11. is like this is what humans tend to do is we want to get together and we want to unite our forces to be stronger than other people so that we can be in control. And so anytime you see Babylon, you see it a lot in the prophets. You see it a lot. Uh, it's it's kind of a little signal to us, hey, here's, here's a sign that humans are getting together to control other humans. Um, so Babylon plays a big part in the story overall. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Dave, we might, um, I think we're going to have time. We might be able to uh, read through 12.3 today because we're yeah. next we're talking about generations, mm-hmm. if you're okay with that. Let's do it. Uh, and then we, we can, uh, next week we can spend the whole time just kind of recapping Genesis. Um, okay, so are you guys good with uh, the first part of 11? Is that good? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, awesome. Um, would somebody read 10 through... Uh, Thirty-two, or take part of it, and and somebody else can jump in when you get tired. I can start. <clears throat> These are the records of the generations <clears throat> of Shem. Shem was one hundred years old and became the father of Ar Ar two years after the flood, and Shem lived five hundred years after he became the father of Arpachshad, and he had other sons and daughters. And Arpachshad lived 35 years and became the father of Shelah. And Arpachshad lived 403 years after he became the father of Shelah, 
and he had other sons and daughters. And Shelah lived 30 years and became the father of Eber. And Shelah lived 403 years after he became the father of Eber, and he had other sons and daughters. And Eber lived 34 years and became the father of Peleg. And Eber lived 430 years after he became the father of Peleg, and he had other sons and daughters. And Peleg lived 30 years and became the father of Ru. And Peleg lived 209 years after he became the father of Ru, and he had other sons and daughters. And Ru lived 32 years and became the father of Sarah. And Ru lived 207 years after he became the father of Sarah, and he had other sons and daughters. And Sarah lived 30 years and became the father of Nahor. <coughs> And um, Sarah lived 200 years after he became the father of Nahor, and he had other, other sons and daughters. And Nahor lived 29 years and became the father of Terah. And Nahor lived 119 years after he became the father of Terah, and he had other sons and daughters. And Terah lived 70 years and became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And now these are the records of the generations of Terah. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran became the father of Lot. And Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his birth in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives for themselves. The name of Abram's wife was Sarah, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. And Sarah was barren. She had no child. And Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarah, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went out together from Ur of the Chaldeans in order to enter the land of Canaan. And they went as far as Haran and settled there. And the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Susan thinks that was a lot of reading. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate that. A lot that. of names. Yes. Yeah. There's a lot of following, too. Pardon? There's a lot of following, oh, too. <laughs> Dennis, here comes your leaders. Here comes what? Here comes the leader. Here comes the leaders. Chapter 12. Yeah. It, it, Dave, is there anything in these generations that you want to touch on before we move into 12? No, not necessarily. Yeah, nothing that, yeah, just the importance, I guess, of, what we've talked about before from Genesis 3.15, every time there's a genealogy, it pays to pay attention because uh, they're in there for a reason. If, if you really want to care about tracing it, <laughs> you know, according to the promise in, in 3.15 that from the line of Eve will come a redeemer. So for those yeah. who like to nerd out on that, I see the importance of genealogies. Otherwise, they're just hard to read. <laughs> you know? So does that mean somebody has to come up with a whiteboard? Yeah, a picture of 
how things are interconnected. Yeah. You know, we were going to do that in life group. And this, um, when, when we had, we had like 20 people here and we were going to do that in life group and work through it one day. And then somebody had mentioned, Hey, you know, you can go online and already find a, and I thought, you know, let's not reinvent the wheel. Let's just do that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, somebody already thought about doing that. Huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So uh, I'm going to read the first three verses of chapter 12. Let's talk about that a little bit. Uh, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Two questions. Why Abram? And notice the language shift from the Tower of Babel language to the Abram language. <clears throat> Tower of Babel is we are going to gather and we're going to build ourselves a big city. We're going to build a tower. Um, there's going to be safety in our numbers. And, and God says just the opposite. You're not going to do it. I'm mm. going to make you a great nation. I mm. will bless you. Um, and I will bless those who cur- or bless you and curse those who curse you. And so the lang- linguistical shift from from mankind doing this at the Tower of Babel to God doing this. Um, I, I think you have to go back. Sorry, you have to go back and trace the lineage from where Abraham came. Okay, because that I think that's critically important to why God chose Abraham. With this project, you made him a project manager, basically. And where, where did, where did, where did Abraham come from? And why is, why did God choose to bless him? So, as funny as the whiteboard thing is, I think it's kind of something we all need to go back and look at. Where did Abraham come from? Well, let me ask you this: What do you, what do you? What do you expect to find in tracing that lineage? Where did, okay, so. In relation to why he picked Abram. Because did he come from Noah? Well, yes. Right. Yeah. Okay, so if he came from Noah, why did he choose Abraham over the rest of the people? Yeah. That, that's kind of the question. Yeah, that's <laughs> my question. Any ideas? Why was Abraham chosen? Because God knew in the future what his what his what his obedience would be. Maybe. Any ideas, Dave? Why he would have elected Abraham? <laughs> and I use that language carefully. Yeah. No, I know. Um, yeah, I, I think first and foremost, you're right on it, Dennis, is um, it once again goes back to the promise in Genesis 3.15 that from the line of Eve is, is going to come a redeemer, one who's going to take on uh, evil itself. And so we know at some point in the story, or really all throughout the story, it's following the family of um, kind of Eve's line. And so you're following, following, following. 
and you see, uh, so we know at some point it's, it's going to be someone in that line. Now, why God would choose Abram over anyone else, I would just humbly say only God knows. Like, I can't tell you like, well, Abraham was more righteous than anybody else. Or I don't think it says that. Like, God chose to, to choose a a man and his wife and say, hey, obey me. And, and through you, I'm going to do these three things, which we'll talk about here in a second. But yeah, I don't know. I, I don't feel like I have a good answer for that other than God chose Abram. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and Dave, that's actually kind of my point is yeah. that there, there really is, there's scripturally, there's no reason why he didn't choose Nahor or Haran, uh, rather than, than Abram, but for whatever reason, God chose Abram. Um, and I, I think it's, I think it points to, uh, God's sovereignty. And we could talk about that a little bit more when we get into Romans, but I want to kind of preface moving into Romans with, yeah. with this, yeah, that, that God chose Abraham. Um, and there is, there, there, there appears to be from a human perspective, zero reason for whatever reason that was God's choice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the only thing I could see is is, um, is that the fact that he was from the lineage of Shem, which is one of Noah's two sons that Noah had blessed. Mm-hmm. That's true. He was. And not of Ham, right? Right. Yeah. And I also noticed as we were uh, reading the last few verses of chapter 11, the lineage, I mean, the genealogy. I noticed that the lifespan of man was getting shorter as well. Yep. Yeah. That's a good catch, Ann. Mm, that is. Okay. Um, man, that that's all I got for today, guys. That's, uh, we're going to, next week, though, man, I really want you guys over the next week, if you'd be kind enough to do so, is start... Um, compiling a a snapshot of Genesis 1 through 11. I know we've kind of already done that, but let's talk about, kind of zoom out, talk about the big picture a little bit more, and then uh, maybe zoom back in and talk about the details and how these details are going to play into to the rest of Scripture. And so this is going to be kind of big homework for the week, um, but let's... Uh, Let's let's really uh, let's really uh, get a snapshot of Genesis before we move into Romans because it, it 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 if you understand Genesis well Romans is going to make a lot of sense mm-hmm. and Romans is a very tough book to understand. Mm-hmm. Anything yeah. to add, Dave? I'm Dave? excited. Dave? I'm really looking forward to Romans. Um, I think it's a great. Yeah, jumping off place for us. And yeah, we'll, when we're in Romans, we'll come back here to Genesis 12 quite a bit. So I would encourage you, look at, as you do what Sean said and summarize the first 11 chapters, also look at these three verses in Genesis 12 and try and think forward with them as much as you can because the rest of Scripture will come back to Genesis 12 over and over and over again with kind of the three distinct promises you see God give Abram here um, about land, seed, or a nation, and that nation being a blessing to all the other nations. So if you kind of follow that forward and find as many cross-references as you can to the promise God makes to Abram here 
it, it circles back to Genesis 12 over and over again. But we'll talk a lot about that, I imagine, in Romans. Romans will force us back to Genesis, which is fun. Yeah. Yeah. And, and be prepared to, to um, next week, let's, let's talk through the details as well. When, when, when we go back to the story of Cain and Abel, let's talk about why God did what he did, why Abel did what he did. So we can kind of, in, in an hour, get a really, really clear um, picture because it, it, there's so much that we talked about over the past three or four months that um, I think we really need to just spend some cool time going over it again. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You guys okay with that? Good. I have, um, I have one last question. Um, oh. Genesis 11, 8, and 9. I don't know. Was there any importance why they repeated the Lord dispersed them from, the, from there over the face of all the earth? I mean, it's written there on verse 8 and 9. Is there any reason to that? Um, why there's a repetition I I don't know okay. I don't know So sometimes we, we see um, remember in Genesis the, the beginning of Genesis we saw mm-hmm. we saw quite a bit of repetition as well and, and I, to be honest with you Anne, I don't I don't know why they why they they um, kind of rehabbed it. And sometimes they would do it three and four times mm-hmm. in, in the, the span of like two or three sentences. Dave, do you have any insight on that? Yeah, I would just say same thing. From what I understand, this was kind of Hebrew writing culture, especially since um, it was an oral culture. So they shared story through, you know, language. Uh, oftentimes before it was written down, you had to memorize the stories of your people and your tribe, right? And so um, I, I think, you know, not everybody had a Bible, like we have a Bible. So if you were going to remember these stories, you wanted them ingrained. And so repetition was key. Like if you look at the book of Le- Leviticus, especially, they will repeat the same thing over and over again because God is very serious about here's how you approach me in the tabernacle. And so it's like on loop within the same book because they had to you know, memorize, hey, here's, here's how we pass this down to our children. And as we know, I mean, there's a reason that, that pop songs or even modern day worship songs is, you know, we call them seven eleven songs, right? Like you sing the chorus seven times with the same 11 words. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's just like, and then it just gets locked in. So I think they really, really stressed repetition in their writing, considering that people had to do a lot of memory work in order to pass it down to the next generation. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, what he said. I- <laughs> <laughs> That's my understanding of like... The- the Bible's super repetitive. It really is. You could probably take out a large chunk of scripture if you took out everything that repeats itself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it's not just re- it was here's what's interesting. It's not just repetitive in its words, but it's repetitive in its ideas and story themes. Yeah. That's what's cool. If you look at it closely, you will see the same story being told over and over and over again with different participants. Yeah, um, but always with with almost the same outcome, and and it's it's like God's trying to drill in us, man. This is who I am. This is who you are. 
This is what's going to happen if, if you don't follow my commands. This is what's going to happen if you do. So it, it, it's, I agree, Dave. It's just yeah. it's repetition. It's, it's a repetition. good way of saying it. I like that. Yeah. Okay. Are we good for today? Yeah. Awesome. Um, would somebody hey, mind? Hey. Bring- Dave, before we go, I see you still have AT&T. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've got a booster and everything, so it's been working pretty well. But I know uh, it depends on the day, I find. Sometimes I'm really glitchy and sometimes it's clear. So mm-hmm. it is what it is. Yeah. Um, not too bad today. Just a couple of hang-ups. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, would somebody mind praying us out? Anyone? <laughs> I'll pray for us. Father, we, um, man, we come before you humbly and we, uh, we thank you for being a God that will elect Abram, who will provide a lineage to Jesus for our salvation. Um, we want to thank you for the folks that are here. Um, and as we move into Romans, help us to, to, um, Man, really grasp on to, to Genesis so that uh, the rest of uh, the rest of Romans, the rest of the scripture really, really makes good sense to us. I want to pray for, again, everyone here. Thank you for getting up at five o'clock in the morning to chew through your word. Um, give, us a, give us a week, Lord, that seeks your face in all things. In the name of Christ, amen.